Jimmy's Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. So today is episode 69, in which I'm going to be talking to a friend of mine, Sam LaRusso. I'm going to be talking about homeschooling and virtual learning during this pandemic, because I know for many of you, you got children, uh, and the school year is coming up, and you're not quite sure what you're going to do. Maybe you're you're like here in Charlotte and North Carolina, where the government just kind of released uh, the info of what the next year is going to look like. Some of you listening up in New York and California haven't quite got there yet, I don't believe. Um, so, you know, you're probably trying to sit there and make decisions about the upcoming school year and what you're going to do and what's best for your child. Well, that's awesome because my friend Sam, he is an individual who is a high school history teacher um, for Charlotte Mecklenburg School System. Me and Sam go way back to our Taco Bell Church of God days in which I was kind of a small group high school church leader and we met weekly on Sunday nights at a Taco Bell uh, and one of the employees there said, hey, you guys are the Taco Bell Church of God. And uh, <laughs> So we met weekly to talk about God, Jesus, the Bible and all that fun stuff. Uh, lots of goofing around, lots of eating of tacos. Good times. Good times, good times. So it's cool uh, about Sam not only coming on the show because of our background together and him also being a high school history teacher with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, uh, but interestingly enough, he was also homeschooled off and on again uh, for a number of years, and uh, I thought, hey, what better perspective, uh, what better person to come on the show and talk about his perspective as a high school history teacher who's also a former homeschooler, public former public schooler, former private schooler. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's done it all, uh, <laughs> folks. So I think, man, this guy's going to have one heck of an opinion. Uh, myself, I was homeschooled for a couple of years as well as public school. So uh, Sam, thanks for coming on today's podcast. and uh, Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself beyond anything I just said. So um, I've been teaching for one year, CMS. I graduated... From Liberty University. Um, I've lived in the Charlotte area for 12 years or so. My family moved up here in 2008 and so I, after graduating, decided to come back because I had friends and family here. Um, so yep, now I'm one year in and it was quite a year. First semester went fine and then, you know, the corona hit. And so now People are asking, what is school going to be like? What does education look like? Virtual learning debates. All of those things. And so it'll be interesting to say the least. Yeah, very interesting, especially as a first-year teacher, for you to kind of get thrown that curveball in the midst of just figuring things out. Now you got to figure out things brand new for the the first time. Was that, was that a weird transition to experience back in March when you guys went from your going on the end of the school year, then all of a sudden being thrown into a virtual learning situation? For me, it, it wasn't as bad as some teachers because a lot of older teachers weren't very as familiar with technology. Whereas for me, it was almost seamless because even if a student wasn't there one day, all of the materials that they needed to do or had access to were all put online. So for me, it was just more of the same. Whereas some teachers had to you know spend hours and hours learning how to use Google Classroom or Canvas or other learning softwares because a lot of what they did was all paper and pen. Right. Whereas most of, most of my stuff was, you know, digital or at least somewhat digital. So 
it was also weird because we got out and spring break was like in three weeks. Right. So we kind of had this weird waiting period. We weren't sure if we were coming back, if we were out. And so then eventually it was out for the rest of the year. And so they kind of called a mulligan on the whole semester. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of guidelines they give us outside of the plan itself for this coming semester. How did your students react to that abrupt transition? Um, well, I had different reactions from different students. Some students were like, all right, whatever. Um, some students, you know, were kind of concerned because they wanted, they had a good grade and they wanted them to keep it. I had some parents eventually call me and be like, when are we going back? Because they were kind of having tired of their kid having, <laughs> <laughs> kind of being at home, you know, all the time. Um, teachers don't get the credit for being, you know, child care providers right, as well. Right. <laughs> um, especially the high school level. But um, some kids literally never contacted me at all for from the second week of March till like the second week of June, which oh, is wow. school ended. So they just didn't say anything. And then they got what they got, you know. Because uh, uh, if I'm understanding, CMS went ahead and basically locked in your whatever grade you had at the end of the, or at the beginning of the pandemic. They're like, you can't make lower than. So, yeah. So they basically said if um, you could, if you did well enough in the second half or the fourth quarter um you could like get that as a grade if you kept up with the assignments or if you were passing before and maybe you did weren't able to or didn't do any of the work then you could just get an exemption um and then if you were failing you were allowed to withdraw which the exemption or withdraw didn't help your gpa or hurt it but if you withdrew so you're failing you have to take it again mm-hmm. and if you uh, took the pass then you got through the class, but you didn't get the GPA boost. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, so most of my students, for the ones who did their work, it actually boosted their grade because we weren't allowed to give lower than a certain grade. And right. Most of the students did do the work, and it wasn't hard work. We weren't allowed to do assessments or projects. Um, so most of my students actually probably did better than what they would have if we'd still had class every day because of the simple nature of the assignments. So what were the nature of the assignments? reading answering questions watching videos um it was very up in the air during the planning of it but we were just told to give them a certain amount of assignments each week and then for those that did it they got a hundred because they completed it and then for those that didn't they got exempted because i had some students who didn't have internet at home and so they weren't able to do any assignments um but then i had some students who could only do it on their phones Mm -hmm. because that was the only place they get service, and then huh. some had internet at home, and they were able to do their assignments. Or the students who did, and they didn't want to, so they just did nothing. <laughs> which they probably would have done not all the assignments in class anyway. So right. So about what percentage of students do you think participated from your class? Um, twenty to twenty-five did regular assignments. Percent? Yeah. Wow. And then I would say like forty percent at least attempted something. Wow. Um, and then at least half didn't do anything, I think. Wow. I'd have to go back and look, wow. but that's kind of a rough number. Wow. Was that pretty much did, talking to your peers at uh, school? Was that pretty much their um, experience as well for their classes? Or do you, think they treat, do you think students treated certain classes differently? Well, among my PLC, which is, well, I taught world history last year. So among the other world history teachers, that was kind of the run of the mill some students 
pretty commonly never contacted us, tried to get in contact with us. Um, there were students who had never logged in at all. And then when they sent out the link to tell them what grade they wanted to choose, they would, you know, they logged in then when it mattered. <laughs> <laughs> I choose the A! <laughs> but like, yeah, it was, it was interesting, but it was really hard because almost every other week the situation would change. And so right. sometimes we did something and then we had to change it. But we were told one thing and then another thing was what was to be. So I'm hoping this year we have a little bit more kind of structure and backbone to like be consistent because for me, uh, I used Google Classroom and then the district had wanted us to use Canvas because it was built in grade book like transition. And so now we know that we're using Canvas, but back then we had to basically transition everything, learn something new. And so that was difficult at first, but eventually I got it because, you know, for me, I'm a little younger. I'm more tech savvy, so I know like I got this it wasn't that difficult <laughs> right. but for some of my I had a coworker. he you know he needed he needed my help with the <laughs> with powerpoints and things like that reminds me of when I worked uh, somewhere once the, one of the older managers at the place that I worked uh, wasn't this was like you know 10-15 years ago uh, wasn't very savvy when it came to email <laughs> yeah. and so they'd type up the email and then ask me if I could send it for them so <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's always it's kind of interesting in teaching because you have people from so many different... You have amateurs like me Man. or beginner teachers. That's the actual word. Right. Beginner, mid, and then people have been teaching like longer than I've been alive. So Right, right. So um, North Carolina's governor, Roy Cooper, recently announced this past week uh, that he went with the middle option, um, which, you know, received a lot of criticism <laughs> and a lot of praise at the same time. <laughs> Um, and then uh, he announced that and said, okay, for the state of North Carolina, we're going to have at least some sort of possibility for uh, a rotation of mm-hmm. socially responsible in-classroom instruction. However, he decided to leave it up to the individual counties yeah. and municipalities to decide if they wanted to go with a stricter option. And Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools here in Charlotte went ahead and decided we're going with the stricter option. We're you know, 15th largest city in the, the nation. Um, the biggest district in North Carolina. The biggest district in North Carolina. Still one of the biggest districts in the country, from what yeah. I understand. Um, you know, uh, it's a, an entire county. For those of you who aren't familiar with CMS, is about thirty, you know, miles each direction, um, and it's all one unified school system. So, <laughs> uh, which you know, people have been calling for it to be busted up for years, but that hasn't happened. But anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> but so CMS has decided because of all the challenges, the high risk. Uh, since we're a very urban sort of area for the most part, mm-hmm. um, to go ahead, especially since I think a lot of teachers were kind of pushing for the remote option. Um, <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah, I, and my wife was as well. Um, but uh, the, the CMS has decided to go with the remote option, which of course makes parents upset, makes parents happy, and everything in between. Um, I know some parents are concerned their children's learn nothing uh, between March and June of last year because of the nature of the uh you know constantly evolving situation yeah constantly evolving situation uh nobody knew what to do um Mm -hmm. so now it's coming upon august mid-august they go back to school here in charlotte for Um, teachers and five weeks so you guys have it all planned out and ready to go right uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you got all your lessons plans for the year and everything Um, well what's it going to look like for you so for me um I'm teaching a new class first time this year. I'm teaching a different class than I taught last year. 
So I'll have to get together with my colleagues and see how we're going to do it because that's really how they want us to plan as a, kind of to unify not necessarily the same lesson for e every class, like copy and paste, but more like what are we talking about this week? What are we talking about next week? How are, whether, how are you doing it? Is it good or bad? Or is that the way you found that it works and someone else might find it work differently? Um, so we'll need to talk about that. Um, as far as like the day-to-day, um, I still don't know um, because I need to, you know, review the material as right. well as see what, because there are certain technologies, like for example, Flipgrid, um, that I'm going to use more now that it's remote learning than I would have used in class. And so Flipgrid's basically like this kind of almost social media-like way where you can basically pull up your computer, record a video, almost like a TikTok or an Instagram video, and um, you can make it like a grade, basically. So I think the first assignment I'll do for in the first few weeks is like, hey, introduce yourself. Um, you know, say, I'll be teaching seniors, so say... Uh, maybe what your summer was like, which we probably not do that. That's normally like an intro right. question. <laughs> it's like, I was at home all <laughs> summer. <laughs> right. I um, did nothing. But like, no you Disney know, World. what their favorite subject is. Right. For me, I always like asking the question, do they love or hate history and why? Um, that's a good talking point. What do they think about American history? Cause that's what we'll be teaching. Or, um, like what do they have plans after graduating? Cause a lot of my students will be graduating. Um, You'll be doing high senior this year? Yeah, so random questions like Coke or Pepsi or like right. uh, something fun. And so I've found that that can kind of, as an introduction, also be able to get to know them even though I won't have a lot of time to interact with them. And things like that, things they like and enjoy. But also um, American history for students can be really relevant because it's in today. I'll be right. teaching the second part, which is, 18 like after the civil war to today and you can see a lot of problems in our society today stem back from that and even further back but that's one of like my main kind of keys is if you make history relevant for students or make it tying to something they know or enjoy or can relate to then even like whatever they get on the test they'll still remember it after and that right. in my opinion is learning more than just passing a test so you'll be also that time period you'll be able to cover the spanish flu then right yeah, we will be talking about the Spanish flu. We That'll can, be fun. It'll be an interesting case study to see. Because, um, you know, on social media, people are like, oh, well, there was this and that. Right. It's like, well, why don't we actually go to the source and not social media and right. Karen's opinion on, <laughs> <laughs> on a, an issue or not. Which, it is similar, but it's a lot different. Because, right. you know, we also didn't just get out of a world war. Right. <laughs> Well, war in Afghanistan, war in Iraq. Um, I mean, but, we've, yeah. we've been yeah. in war forever. Right. What, uh, digress. <laughs> right, digress. Uh, so, um, so you'll be utilizing technology. You'll be videotaping your lectures, basically, then? So, I'm hesitant to because that's very time-consuming. No. I might narrate mine. Okay. Kind of like doing a voiceover while going through a PowerPoint. Okay. Um, there are also other tools where we can use... Um, uh, the basic ways we can give them the book. <laughs> um, but there's other like videos like Crash Course. I've used okay. Crash Course in a supplemental way before. Where What's Crash Course? It's a, it's a YouTube channel where they have very informational videos. So what I would do is, for example, they would talk about the Great Depression. Okay. I would make up some questions of the video and then my students would watch it. And they're, they're kind of fast. They're pretty quick. Um, but they're really kind of information-packed. 
a lot of students use them to study for AP exams in history. But if, you know, it's always about the same thing that I talk about. Right. So if they maybe miss something, they might get it there. Or if um, maybe the, the video has a different way of explaining it, sometimes, sometimes students are more kind of, they like watching a video more than listening. Because right. that really when you lecture, that's what it is. It's not so much the person, but what you're hearing. Right. Um, so I still have to like, you know, it's still kind of early for me because, you know, some teachers might find out in a week or two that they might be getting a different class. Right. For me, last year getting hired, um, I found out mid-July that I was hired and I would be teaching world history. And then when I got my schedule, I realized I was teaching not just world history, but a different version of it as mm. well. And so you kind of have to be flexible. And so that's what I'm hoping for. We've yet to have a meeting as the American History 2 class right. for the teachers. So we'll see kind of when it goes there. But So what kind of, um, will there, so you'll be, you won't just be sitting in your pajamas telling students to read pages, you know, 100 through 150 in their book and then writing an essay about it and then just reading the essay. You'll actually still be doing some sort of instruction in some way. Yeah, I'm more of a, I guess it comes from, you know, being homeschooled. I was very much self-motivated. Mm -hmm. And so my remote learning this past uh, quarter when we were out was very much like Monday. Here's the, all the material and all the things you have to do that's due Sunday. You can do it today. You can space it out. You can do it however you want. It just needs to be done by the end of the week. Right. And so that was kind of, I guess in a way my philosophy or how I would want because if I was wanting to be a student like I don't want to show up every day at the same time for something boring right you know there's already a lot of dead time in classes sure so just to make it efficient because they also have other classes right you know so for me that's probably where I'd personally like to aim towards okay um, because you know some of our students still have jobs mm. you know right. so especially upperclassmen they'll still be working at local areas right. like fast food restaurants and sure. grocery stores and so they Dorash. also have yeah that's what i've been doing this summer um but, i actually had a high school kid uh, deliver doordash for me not too long ago yeah uh, for our lunch one day mm -hmm. doordash has been interesting we should make another podcast on <laughs> absolutely <laughs> alternate me methods of revenue <laughs> because you know teachers make tons of money absolutely <laughs> uh so with that said um so will you be doing like also will you have like regular it sounds like you'll be more engaged perhaps this year than you were like between uh, March and June last year. Like the students are going to have more expected of them. Yeah. Will they have to be completing assignments? Uh, they'll be earning grades, I assume, tests, oh, papers, yeah. all that fun stuff. Um, I'm not sure about assessments because that's kind of a because the state's involved with that. Right. You know, because basically most classes prepare them for the state test. Right. And that's really where they can be made or broken as far as grade wise. Right. Um. So for me, we'll have to, we don't know that yet. We'll mm -hmm. know when we get back, whether they're exempting them again from state testing or if we're going to have the state testing, testing integrity is another thing, um, which like, that's why we didn't give any out because, you know, they could be on their Chromebook that we can monitor, but then, you know, they could have their phone out right. while they're taking the test and, oh, look, everyone scored a hundred. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, you know, I've had to make sure to put answers that you can't find on Quizlet. Mm, interesting, interesting, interesting. So, um, so I, even though you don't know they, if they will have any sort of standardized testing at the end of the year, will, will you be able to still administer like quarterly semester like test into, into like however it is structured for your high school? 
Uh, perhaps. I think if we were, I'm, I'm going to assume that they will have the standardized test and they'll just have a method of doing it okay. that we'll just have to basically m- migrate into. Um, but for me, I think, especially with upperclassmen, making like, like quizzes or lower level assignments, but making them like an opinion base. Right. You know, there's, you know, the standard like ABCD question, which right. there is a right answer. Right. But sometimes in order to get a student's understanding of something, right. if they explain it themselves, that's so much more of a better way to do it. Right. Then. So, you know, maybe making them like say, for example, make a minute and a half to two minute video explaining uh, the main points of reconstructionism during this after the Civil War. Or what were black codes? Or like, why was the presidency of FDR uh, in, crucial to American history? Whatever. Right. And so, if they explain it in their own words, that's much of a very higher retention rate. Right. And um, even like opinion essays, or like, like write on your views of racism. Right. You know, we're especially my school is very it's a Title One school, minority, heavy, even Hispanic heavy. Um, and so, like, there's things that they'll see in history that are still going on today. Right. I mean, not just racism. Right. Um, classism, you know, crime, policing, all, all the, a ton of issues, right? Sure. And, you know, for them to actually either write or talk about it, I think it becomes very real for them. Right. And, you know, whenever you get someone engaged, that's a lot of things that – that's one of the main points we aim for, especially at our school, is student engagement. Because the more students engaged, the better they'll perform right. across the board. Right. So uh, you'll still be teaching a, a curriculum-driven um, stuff, even though you're not 100% sure you know, how that's going to be assessed and everything. You're still going to be teaching the same standards yeah. uh, that you would expect to normally teach regardless. It'll always be to the standards. Okay. Um, and so the standards are what the test covers, so that's kind of how they blend together. Right. So even if they don't take the test, we still teach the standards right. because the way they are set up is just like straightforward. Right. You know? Um, because there's a lot that goes on in, in American history. So right. the, I think it'll be for, for me particularly, I think it'll just be pretty straightforward, right. you know, um, as far as what that looks like assignments, we, you know, that's, we still have to kind of figure that out cause it is going to be all remote. That's what we're right. have two weeks of in class separating groups, um, just to orientate the students and then full remote learning. Right. Um, day to day, I don't know what it'll look like, right. but you know, I'll still I'll still be up and you know like I would normally have been right. during those times. So, do, do you think um, though you mentioned you're being in a Title One high minority school? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Title One usually means uh, for most people, if you're not aware, means deep poverty. Yeah, low um, income, very low income, very blue collar for the most part for most of the parents. Um, definitely not working in the best school in the district. Um, and so do you think this particular issue with doing remote learning is going to highly disadvantage your students being from a Title I school, whereas like in an area where I live in the South Charlotte area where, be you know, <laughs> yeah, where they're like, well, I was already playing Clash of Clans and stuff on my iPad. And I have three of them at home, so <laughs> I, you know, 
Um, and uh, my mom, Karen, she tells me I just need to buckle down, but I'm good. I already did my homework in three hours right. for the holy month. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Which is what you did when you were in homeschool, though. Much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, um, so do you think your students will be at a disadvantage um, compared to, you know, contemporaries in Southeast Charlotte and high-income areas? Uh, yeah, I do, honestly. I think it's funny you know, on social media and hearing news people and people's opinions about remote learning is like, there's a lot of people who have opinions on things and they're not actually involved in. Right. Like people who are like, like basically people who pay taxes to public schools but don't have a kid in, never have had a kid in them. Right. Right. Someone who maybe had their kid in public school, private school or homeschool, you know, I mean, they still pay the taxes for it, but right. they're not as involved. And it does disadvantage because I think, for for highly motivated learners, it doesn't matter because they're right. just gonna they're gonna go and do it. Right. That was me in all my you know even when I was in private school, public school, community college, and homeschool, I mostly taught myself or learned right. from myself. And if I had a question, I'd go ask the teacher. But right. I was pretty self paced doing my work. But for students, you know, some students need that teacher to kind of push and nudge them. Right. Whereas some students don't need really a teacher at all. They just like just tell me what to do. Done. Right. right? And for minority students in particular, even like at our school, there's a significant amount of students who are English learners. They don't speak English mm. very well or if at all. Their native language is not English. And for them especially, it's going to be hard because, yeah, they can throw this stuff in Google Translate, but that's not, you know. Right. The, the main thing I learned when I, I taught an English learner section of world history was that their mental capabilities for the content wasn't the problem. Right. It was just the English. Right. There's just the translation or the language barrier. And so like they could have conversations about slavery and, you know, like in particularly with American or Central Southern American and colonization, like they could talk about those things. They could talk about what life was like in their home country. You know, I had students from Central South America, Mexico, all over and even, you know, some from Africa. Mm who spoke French and they all, you know, they all had lived scenarios that were relevant to the world history, but expressing themselves was hard. And, and especially listening is usually their highest, right. uh, kind of proficiency out of talking, speaking, writing. Right. Um, and for even that, like in a remote setting is extremely hard, right. especially if you don't have a, you know, a translator or an interpreter right. for them to work out. And so I think across the board, it will affect, you know, a minority students, people in low income areas, because, well, one, they might not even have access to internet at right. home. How many, how many of your students do you think have access to internet? And high well, speed ju internet. Judging, judging on my students last year, because I don't know what they right. would be like this year. Um, probably like seventy percent. Wow. Um, I mean, they all had they all had phones with data, right. but you can't really do all your schoolwork on a phone because sure. sometimes my students would forget their Chromebook. And then right. they could do the work on their phone. Right. But they would also go home and then finish it. Right. Right. But that's because they didn't bring their Chromebook. But, you know, technology is a real issue. And for some students, they're not familiar with it. Because my students knew better how to use a phone than their laptop. Mm -hmm. Some of my students didn't like typing out wow. things because they could write it out faster. <laughs> I was like, well, if you want to at, at, at all get into higher education after... Right. You know, twelfth grade, you need to type up like right. 
Like that's how right. that's how it works. Right. Do uh, do you guys have any alternatives for students who don't have access to the internet? What's the school system going to do for students who truly don't have access to the internet? So I know at our school we give out hotspots, and that's something we've offered even before all this. Okay. Um, and there were like the I think Sprint is the one who's donated them. Okay. And so Sprint services the hotspots, and they get a certain amount of data. Um, which I had a few students who had those, and they they got their work done. They did it. Okay. And they, they, it they didn't use the internet as an excuse. Okay. So like even if they had it, they still did their work, right. and they were some of my best students. You know, but really I think like. My main concern, like, I guess across the board is just the culture of online learning because it's kind of lazy. Right. You know, motivation in our school is very hard. The area, a lot of people don't find the value of education. You can see it. Some of the parents, great. You know, they get upset with their kids if they don't do their work. Right. And because they want them to do well. And the kids know that. Right. But then some kids, you know, various home situations... Sometimes like I've had a I had a student in ninth grade drop out before the end of the year, wow. and you know he just couldn't focus in school, a bunch of stuff, a right. bunch of issues. It was un, it just made me sad because you know I see greatness in everyone. Right. I think that, you know, I remember telling my students like, when I was talking about the Middle Ages and how people learned, they had to spend money to learn, but it's an investment because of what I'm doing, I learned about history, I learned about teaching. Now I'm getting paid for my brain. Sure. And so I tell my students, if you can find something that people will pay you for, for learning, like you, uh, you, what is it? You can be 19, have one year of community college, be a welder, make $90,000 a year, which is like more than double what I make. Right. <laughs> and, and you're making that at 19. Right. Like, why would you not do that? Yeah. Right. It may not be the great thing, but you're going to make good money. You'll be financially sound. Sure. And you know, they don't have people to say that to them, mm. especially in my school. They don't have good role models. They don't have people who are willing to push them and challenge right. them. And especially in a home environment where now it's going to be remote learning, students, you know, they're just like, well, what do I, why do I have to do it? I mean, you know, I can just do it whenever. Procrastination is right. going to be through the roof. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I can only imagine the, the distractions that home life will offer, not only just whatever domestic issues may be going on in a in home, general, yeah. but also... You know, especially with seniors who, you know, maybe have part-time, maybe even full-time yeah. jobs. Um, they may think, well, I'm not going to log in between the hours of 9 and 12 because I can pick up an extra shift at exactly. Bojangles or wherever that I'm working. You know, you don't get paid to go to school now. Right. I mean, you could eventually, but, like, you got to put food on the table, right. money in the bank. Right. And I feel that. That's why I've been door dashing you know, right. for the summer. Like, that's kind of the real kind of aspect because people are like, oh, well, they should learn. It's like, well, you can't just learn your whole life right. in the sense of go to school f- full time. Right. You have bills that get paid. And sure. especially now because some people are out of jobs. You know, some people can't go back to their jobs yet. Right. What, and, do, you, what do you think your biggest struggle will be as a teacher uh, in the midst of all this? That's a good question. Um, I think it'll be being personal with the students because mm-hmm. that's something that like I, I like to joke with them you know i like to mess with them right. in like like a joking way um and they they like that it's it's funny because some of the students i was the hardest on always would come see me like the first semester they'd always come see me like the morning of the second when they didn't have me they're like hey mrs larizzo i'm like what do you want <laughs> type of thing like like 
just joking with sure. them. But they, they, it's funny because high schoolers, I've learned to like push and that might sound bad, but like it, pushing shows that you care. Sure. And they just want someone to care about them. They want to be, you know, valued or noticed or even joked with. And so that'll be hard in a remote environment without spending like a significant amount of time talking with them. Right. Um, and so for me, like it'll kind of take some of the joy out of it because mm. I don't get to know. And like, especially for me, like they're seniors, like they might go all over the place after this. Sure. And so like, that's kind of part of the joys. And like, even you've been a mentor for me. Like it's kind of cool when you see people you've kind of helped lead along the way and right. seeing them grow and go other places and do great things. Sure. And so it'll be harder because pretty much everyone's just going to be sitting at home. Sure. You know, there's not going to be much or if at all athletics this coming couple months. Gosh, it's clubs. <laughs> you know, there's not going to be a lot of social meetings and people thrive in those settings. Sure. Right. But some people don't. Right. And some people so introverts this is like their dream come true, right? <laughs> <laughs> but for some people you know, I even have coworkers. They don't do good at home working from home. I'm fine, right? Because I have a great setup at home. Sure. You know, um, I have multiple monitors, etc. I have a microphone for recording. You know, but it's going to be a challenge on a whole different way. And I think another issue is uh, students with disabilities, mm. um, because they're legally required to have services for them, but all those services are provided in school. But they right. still have to get them out of school now, and so that whole thing is going to be wow i mean yeah. i've only had a few students who've had a documented disabilities um who needed services like testing in a different setting or tests were being read aloud to them and so like i'm i have no idea how the ec department's gonna mm. handle those because they still have to right how do you think this is going to be a challenge for parents and do you think the challenges will be different for high school parents versus like elementary school parents I think it will be because elementary school, uh, particularly elementary teachers, they teach all the subjects and they also kind of like have to kind of have fun with it. You know, you always see the pictures of the, you know, the nice looking lady with all her students and like they're all smiling or playing with blocks, but that at home, it's different. You know, for some elementary students, home's not a good place, but for some it is and forget remote learning, like just the kind of, there's a whole theory about learning through play you know if you don't have that environment that's social because playing is social interaction is part of play working as a team it's kind of hard to work as a team if you're all at home by yourself right um especially in your formative years and so i think elementary uh student parents are going to have a hard time kind of filling up the day right because you know i mean they could kind of they could like go really uh, in depth with it if they wanted to take that responsibility of teaching them themselves but right. you know they might come out of it a grade or two ahead and then that'll be kind of a unique scenario right. but it also might be that they don't actually learn anything right especially if they're in a you know a very high poverty area where mom and dad are working all day they can't they'll like, be at home all day like, right like whereas like somebody like me i work for a big bad bank and like <laughs> yeah. I, I have my work laptop sitting right here next to the laptop i'm recording on for this podcast and you know if i had kids running around like i would still be able to tend to them and you yeah. know, oversee them mom and dad if they're like you know don't have the luxury of a remote working job mm-hmm. they're gonna you know 
they're not going to be there during the day for the kids. Yeah. Um, and yeah. even if they might be able to do anything at night, it's probably going to be a little, I mean, some of them might even be working two jobs. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I'm concerned, I don't know if you are, but like, how's this, how do you think this could impact people for like some sort of multi-generational, like multi-decade of yeah, social. I think in that area, it might make people independent in a bad way. Because there's one thing to say that like we always kind of value like the independent learner like I'm a strong independent woman like I don't need no man right. like I can do this myself I don't need your help you know and that's kind of a stereotype but sure. in, it's pretty American like we don't we hate asking for help sure you know I tell my students like if you don't know the answer just say I don't know it's okay to not know right um, but in that way I think people will learn to not ask for it mm. just be like well it doesn't matter you know. And, you know, as a society, we're really seeing, like, people always make the joke, like, none of this crap happened when uh, sports weren't, you know, were around. <laughs> you know, I mean, I love sports, and I do miss sports, but, like, public health is an important thing. Right. But, you know, people are, people are also, like, kind of realizing that like, now they have a ton of time with themselves. Like, they don't have as many distractions. They're actually having to, like kind of interact with reality you know right. i've always seen the abc store it's always a line out the door <laughs> <laughs> you know and so it'll be interesting to see i think it'll be um well for all the people who wanted to know if online learning virtual learning remote learning was actually like effective they'll find out soon because mm. now that we have to do it basically um do you think this will increase uh, inequalities in education uh, between the haves and haves nots and all that's you know, all those social aspects of things that kind of get dicey. Yeah. And at, when I was younger, I was against kind of this idea, but now I'm not because, um, especially with sports, you know, some students, especially in lower income areas, stay in school because of sports. Mm. And it just, it does bring about good for them because they get at least a GED, right. high school education. You know, and they're taught things in sports. Sports is just another avenue of learning. Right. People don't think of it like that. Right. You know, my school especially was very good at sports. Um, so at least for my first few years, I wouldn't want to get involved in sports because I want to learn my craft and kind of understand as a teacher. Um, and then when I have more time, in a sense, to dedicate. Because I love sports. You know, sure. I, I'd like to be not a head coach, but just like an assistant coach. You know, it's another way to get to know kids. Right. Um, and... But it's a different way to teach them different things. You know, we don't have life skill classes that we offer, but you can learn life skills in sports. Mm. You can learn discipline, dedication, loyalty, all those things. You can learn them in a book, but right. it's way better to live it in life. Right. To learn it from someone who cares about you, you know. And because, you know, one, sports aren't, they're not going to be debate clubs, things like that. Um, <laughs> debate clubs. That's, right. I don't know why that's the first thing. Go on Facebook and Twitter, everybody. <laughs> um, Form your own debate club there. Extracurricular activities. <laughs> I think those help students yeah. stay invested in school. And, you know, school isn't just about having a higher intellect. You know, school, some schools have the, the methodology of prepping for college or prepping for the workforce. And those are both good approaches. But some people might not get either of those with remote learning right. because they're just, you know, doing assignments, answering A, B, C, D. Congratulations, you got a 
70 or 60 right. you pass you know there's so much more than just getting a good grade sure and mm-hmm. that won't occur that learning that doesn't occur on paper won't happen as much outside of the classroom so with your background of being homeschooling to kind of transition to the yeah. from that um you know how do you see similarities and dissimilarities between remote learning and homeschooling from your perspective do you think it'll be a lot like homeschooling because i know a lot of parents you know they're weighing right now whether or not um and you know certain areas they have the option to have full remote um or they can go to school or you know some are like i saw the other day north carolina state government website crashed the homeschool website did crash because so many people were interested about it or trying to apply for it exactly and like that just boggled my mind um so like a lot of people went a lot of different options um including homeschooling and some or even private school applications are uh high from what i understand like somebody told me right now there's like a a three-year waiting list to get into charlotte latin or something ridiculous yeah Um, and so parents weighing options how much dissimilarity based off your experience or similarity do you see between remote learning and homeschooling and um goods and bads for that so ironically homeschooling can be a completely remote learning environment um there have been plenty of uh curriculums and they're called co-ops um or group homeschooling group offerings where they offered you know all the classes you would normally take in a like public school environment Mm -hmm. but you have you know four different teachers um i've had where i would do the material at home and once a week we'd come in and talk about it and the teacher would be there to answer our questions explain things um and then excuse me uh, I took a U.S. history class online, completely virtually online. Mm. And, you know, that literally was the same thing as remote learning. And so in some ways, people have a lot of misconceptions about homeschool. Um, for me, a lot of my learning, I did myself. You know, my so mom... So wasn't your mom and dad my, sitting down every day with for five hours? Well, homeschool well, yeah, last five hours. <laughs> At least not for three hours and like sitting there lecturing until, you or not anything? until high school at oh, least okay. in in that time at right. least um, there were times where I would have I would need explanation um, and so kind of that process is like you learning like as a parent you're gonna learn while you homeschool hmm. because like when I was looking for a job before I found my job I was attempting to learn math to take the Middle school math, just in case I didn't get a history job, I could well, I could teach middle school math. I felt like an idiot trying to learn <laughs> middle school math, but I got a greater understanding of what teachers went through. But I was also like, but if I had finished, because I got a job before I finished to take the test, hmm. um, you know, I would learn, I would know the math better. And so, <laughs> excuse me, in some sense, it is good because you are learning and you're being able to teach other people like your kid if you homeschool. Um, but homeschooling costs time and money. Right. Um, you, ironically now it's actually a better time to homeschool than it was before. Why is that? Because of the online resources available for free. Hmm. There might not be the best, but they're better. They're good as free stuff, right. as free materials that you can use. Um, I remember telling someone, if someone, do you know what Khan Academy is? No. So Khan Academy is, um, a website where they've, I'm sure by now it was started by a man um, and like it's, it's literally, you could take like an, a GED. They have like first grade math, second grade, all the way K through 12. They even offer some college level classes, hmm. right? They offer subjects, history, science, math, English, 
or grammar, whatever you want to call it, literature. And I one time told someone like, honestly, with the way things are, someone might be able to get it, maybe even a better education in a pub, just doing that K through 12 than going to public school K through 12. Wow. But it depends if they were like a self-motivated learner and had the discipline for it, then yeah, they probably could. But not everyone's like that. You know, some people need a teacher. Right. Some people need to be in a social environment to learn. Right. And so the material's there. And so that's why I say now's a better time to do it than ever. But you also have to consider the other needs of kids, such as social, emotional, um, and even academic. Like one of the reasons my mom pulled me out of high school, uh, public high school to homeschool me was because I wasn't getting challenged academically. Mm-hmm. I was doing fine. Like, I was, you know, getting very good grades, but it was just easy work. And I remember not liking it because mm-hmm. of, not liking it, not because of the academics. I just, I didn't like the environment, but I was still doing like what I was in homeschool before. I was performing right. at the same level. Mm-hmm. And so my mom knew I needed a challenge. And so that's why she pulled me out. And the challenge, that's one of the things is like kids always, <laughs> if you ever hear someone say, you won't, like, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, and that. I think challenging is a great way to push someone further than they've been in any aspect of any aspect of life, mm-hmm. but especially in education. Um, so for next year, for parents who are on the fence and trying to weigh all their options, um, who should homeschool their kids next year? And do you think do you think a lot of people would benefit from it over the current <laughs> format that some school systems may have with either a split between in-person learning and remote learning or just 100% remote learning? Do you think... A homeschooling might offer an advantage next year during this pandemic that you wouldn't get from public school? The one main advantage I can think of and which I also had when I was homeschooled was that it's individualized learning. You know, as a teacher, I had almost 40 kids in a class one time. I couldn't, you know, at every moment cater to every one of their needs. Right. You know, it was especially evident in my English learner class because some were very much proficient in English and were about to exit the program because they knew English well. Some literally just came to America three weeks ago, you know, and so they were learning literally out everywhere. Every time they heard English, they were learning. And so for student, for parents who are concerned that their student isn't getting enough attention, maybe that could be a like big factor in homeschooling your kid, but also know you need to challenge them. Like maybe try to get material for the next year. So even if you homeschool them this year, when they go to school next year, they'll probably know some of the stuff that they'll mm-hmm. be taught, which one, it'll give them an advantage, to, but it might make them bored in, in school. <laughs> but, um, you know, homeschooling for me later in high school allowed me to go to community college. Mm-hmm. And they offer that um, to high seniors. They can do part-time CPCC, which is the local community college in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. Right. <clears throat> there are other community colleges you can go right. to. But that's always a benefit because even if like they are like not mastering the material, they'll still be familiar with it and that gives them an advantage because they take less time to learn and more time to tweak and perfect what they know. And so for me, that was like the biggest kind of up of homeschool is you can challenge your kid, you can get them, you know, maybe even you'll even have time to explore things they might like. Right. You know, one of the things when I was at Liberty, I would tell young, uh, younger underclassmen, younger students, underclassmen, um, 
you know, try different classes that you might like. You know, some students came in for whatever degree right. and they end up switching three or four times. You know, and some students I know picked up a minor of a class they liked because they had a professor they liked. Mm. And there's community college for me was one area that I did that. But it's so much better to do that earlier in high school and homeschooling can allow that. Right. Um, you know, like the robotics classes. Right. Uh, like they've, you've seen a way, uh, the funding in public schools has kind of put it away, but like machining, uh, woodworking, like trade type right. things. Right. You know, explore, if you know your kid well, explore what they like and what they're right. good at. Because like I said earlier, like they can make money off of that. <laughs> They could even start doing it now. If you're right. like your kid can learn coding, right? I mean, give them a coding class in homeschool, right? And by the time they're eighteen, they could actually like do a coding right. job, right? I mean, know? that's what happened with me when I was homeschooled in high school. This was over twenty years ago, before when all the homeschoolers were still considered cultish, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't cool. I was homeschooling before homeschooling was cool, and you suspect you're such a hipster, things. Jimmy. I know, and. And uh, so my day usually looked like about three hours of school, three and a half hours of school. And then my mom let me do whatever I want. And that, <laughs> in, that, yeah, include, and that included web design. And I, I eventually taught myself to code, write HTML, uh, CSS, JavaScript, um, and all that stuff. And I actually did when I was like 16, 17 years old. I was doing freelance web design for marketing. You can make money doing right. that. I, I made like... When I was like 16 years old, I made three grand one summer doing some web design for some marketing company uh, up in Lake Norman. And now eventually I didn't go that route. And I eventually learned that I hated computers as much as I loved them. Um, <laughs> and, and eventually I didn't do that. But it still allowed me the freedom to explore and do things that did interest me um, that I probably wouldn't have gotten in a, a normal public school setting Um but, of course, we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, so, I mean, who cares about any of yeah. that, right? Um, I will say there is a disadvantage, and that is, like, your kid's going to be home all the time. Right. And for some, you might worry about filling a whole day up with school. You're definitely not trying to replicate a seven, eight-hour school day. Right. Um, Dirty little secret most homeschoolers do twice as much work in half the time. <laughs> yeah. But that's because it's focused. Right. You know, a lot of my students probably could do all the work I have for them in class right. in half of this class time. Right. But, you know, we get these huge long, our classes are an hour and a half long. Right. And I don't need all of that time right. to teach what I need to teach, but there's also like behavior, there's people confused, you know, and you how you use the time is different. But right. um, for homeschooling, you know, you don't have to be an expert in every subject. Right. And I think that's probably a lot of parents' fear. They're like, well, what do I know about teaching math? What do I know about teaching English? What do I know exactly. about teaching history? But it sounds like with homeschooling, you know, it's the burden on the individual parent. Yeah, they're going to probably have to help their kids, but there's a lot of, like, it's not like the parents have to become subject matter experts, um, and they'll probably be able yeah. to utilize the resources that are out there and to even, teach their kid. And their kid probably will probably actually teach themselves a lot. Yeah, and even, like... Homeschooling groups have people, whether parents or I suppose that meme, it's like, hey, hey, teachers, uh, sell, sell uh, your services for $250 a week, teach 10 <laughs> kids, and you make $130,000 a year. Right. right. Like, that is possible, but you, unless you know every subject, like, right. I couldn't teach that because I don't know the English standards. Because right. homeschoolers, there's another myth. Homeschoolers still have to take the same tests right. that everyone else does. Right. 
And we might not have learned the same method, but we still passed the test. Right. And we probably destroyed them compared to some people. <laughs> yeah, like uh, even though I live in North Carolina, when I was homeschooled, I was taking the California state test. Um, so, and that's pretty common. Uh, they usually, the, the groups that form, they usually pick the higher states and North Carolina yeah. is not among them. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, for me, I think that, you know, you, you can reach out. There are people, especially in homeschooling groups that are willing to help, you know, especially with virtual learning now, like you can hire a tutor and maybe have them tutor three, four hours a month. And that can cover, you know, the time that your student needs or your kid needs to, to get that solidifying of right. that mastery of that content. And that's much cheaper right. if you use a free material and then you have a tutor like once a week right. for an hour or two. That's way cheaper than, you know, if you were to hire someone. Right. You know, and it also, it also just makes it easier for you as a parent because, right. you know, in a sense you are paying for that tutor but that tutor, that hour is going to be laser focused on what right. they learned. And there's a lot of different ways of doing it. People have many different ways of homeschooling. Some, it literally just mimics virtual learning. Some is very like micromanaging, I guess. Right. But some students need that. And that's the thing is like homeschool is so customizable. Right. Whereas, you know, public schools, even though I work in one, are just factories. Right. Yeah. And not everyone needs a factory. Right. Some people need craftsmen that are like <laughs> sculpting you Absolutely. by hand, whatever analogy. So you gave uh, ideas of who should homeschool. Who shouldn't homeschool? Families with a lot of kids, probably. Mm. I mean, I know that's the stereotype of homeschooling families, but if you have kids that range from, you know, like kindergarten to 11th grade, there's a whole lot. And if you only have maybe a single mother right. or like even if you have, you know, both parents, it's still a lot for even two, right. you know, every once in a while I'd have someone come in my English learner class to help me. And even then there was like 35, six kids and there were two of us, hmm. you know, and that, that was also hard. And especially when it's your kids, you know, obviously you know them better, but sometimes they might do better on their own with a teacher to kind of help them. And as well as um, students, I would say, with services that right. they need um, or medical issues that are adequately accommodated for in the system, there's no reason to like get out of that. Um, as well as students who like really enjoy school. You know, in me, I didn't really like public school. And that was one of the, you know, the reason I didn't like it was a factor that my mom pulled me out. Um, but students, some students love, like I have friends who were homeschooled and they wanted to go to public school. They wanted to socialize, you know, and for some of them, that was an opportunity to do ministry and evangelism. Right. But for some of them, it was just how to make more friends. Right. And they already had plenty of friends, but they were also able to do theater, to do sports, to do unique things that homeschooling doesn't offer. Like the funding behind using, um, like like robotics, things like that. There's right. there's some benefit to established institutions that have resources. Um, and so for students who want to stay in, it might just be... Because it might just be a semester that we're out and then we're yeah. back to normal. Um, and so like if your student really likes public school, the environment of it, um, then 
and keep them in it so that way you don't have to do the whole hassle of pulling out, going back in. Right. Um, but obviously, in my opinion, you should always consider the highest need is your child's you know, education because in my mind, education is the great equalizer among people. Mm. You know, give someone who is a learner and is educated, regardless of who, what, where, when they are. Right. They're always going to rise above. You look at history, all the a lot of famous people were educated or educated themselves. Right. And if you kind of put a less importance to education, then I think just across the board, you're going to suffer later in life because you see the trend of people going back to school in their 30s, 40s, 50s, when they could have done it earlier. And, right. you know, why not? You can get extra money for getting paid that. <laughs> like, why would you not do that earlier? Very good. So, Sam, uh, closing out, is there any question or thought that you'd like to offer as kind of a final thought? Any question I didn't ask in today's podcast that you think I should have asked and that you'd like to answer? Uh, what would that be? And, or do you have just any final parting thoughts of about homeschooling, virtual learning, pandemic, or whatever? Yeah, I think one, an interesting kind of thought i guess to ponder on for this whole thing because now we're kind of forced into virtual learning is how much well, people will begin to question how much the established institution is worth it mm. because you know kind of to analogize it analogize it to churches like why do we need big buildings right when we can meet in homes right um and so like you know we have these huge concrete buildings with seats and stuff and gyms and theaters, you know, but how much money is it worth? And if, if we could, let's say if we were to theoretically achieve the exact same level of education in class versus virtual learning, a lot of people would definitely want to not be involved. <laughs> They're just like, I'll learn from home. Right. But I think the, the, the continuing conversation of education and the method of it will be an interesting way to play out because... The, the science right now clearly shows that a teacher is the most determining factor in a child's success. It's not curriculum. It's not environment. It really is a teacher. And that's, in my personal opinion, like, I remember all my favorite history teachers. You know, I, when I asked someone... You mean your mom? No. <laughs> <laughs> me. Just kidding. Um, when I ask people... You know, when I tell them I'm a history teacher, they're like, oh, I loved history because I had this cool teacher. He was crazy. He was wacky, but he made me remember the compromise of whatever. Like, And there's that's the thing is students are so receptive to a teacher who's passionate about what they do and know what they're talking about. Because mm. one time, I, I definitely have had students like, what's this? And I would tell them, they're like, oh, I was just making sure you knew what you're talking about. I was like, of course I know what I'm talking about. I'm right. a teacher. Um, and that'll be... I think the interesting conversation, but also more than ever, I think people will come to appreciate teachers because, you know, we don't just do one thing. Right. Especially, I know people like during the, the quarantine, the actual quarantine, people were like, oh, teachers, you know what? Whatever it is, you need $1,000, you need all the notebooks, <laughs> pencil's fine. Just take my child. I don't want them home. You teach them. Like, I think people will appreciate that. But... We won't get any raises no. I, <laughs> because I think teaching is one of the weirdest government professions, mm. at least in the public sense, because you're viewed as a duty, like you have to do it, but it's also like, well, you're not doing it for the money. So, you know, 
we don't need to give you extra money. <laughs> you know, and that's the same thing also goes with funding, sure. school funding too. It's like, well, you know, I've heard people say, well, they'll always get C's and D's, so why do we need to give them more money? Is it going to turn into A's and B's? Mm. And then if, if it doesn't, then why should I spend the extra money? And that's the thing is there's always debates about this. There always will be. Right. And so I would say for people listening, if you have a kid, um, strongly consider homeschooling, but also know like there's varied needs for varied students. And if you feel like homeschooling won't be the best re- method, then don't do it. Mm. But if it is, maybe give it a try because you can – you could do it even just for the semester. If it doesn't work out well, you can still send your kid back in for the next semester. The government's always accepting your children, we, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I think one thing they told us about our school was that every day might be a different group of kids. Mm. I had kids literally come in. I had a kid get enrolled um, four weeks before the final mm. in my class because wow. this family moved from another state. Wow. You know, And he was in school in that state. So I was like, all right. Here's the study guide. You just have to pass the final because you haven't been here for 18 or like 10 weeks or something like, you know. So there's always differing scenarios. But I think every parent wants their kid to get a good education because there's no negative to it. The time invested and the money invested will always be worth it. Because like what I invested in my bachelor's degree is going to pay itself off in two, three years. Right. And... If you can do that, K through 12, get them a good standing, going to college, getting a good degree and working, that's that's a great foundation. And that's always what, I'm not a parent, but I know parents always want their kids to have a good foundation so that they can be better than them. I don't know if I've ever met a parent who wants their kid to do worse than them. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so that's what, even as a teacher, like I want my kids to do better because I know they can. Very good. Well, Sam, thanks for coming on today's show. Great thoughts. I've enjoyed you for having me. the conversation. If you've enjoyed the conversation, this has been Jimmy Humphrey with Jimmy'sTable.com. I've been here with Sam LaRusso. If you want to email me, Jimmy at Jimmy'sTable.com. Uh, you can check out this uh, podcast at the website, Jimmy'sTable.com. Uh, slash listen. You can download episode 69. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, I'm on Apple, I'm on Google, I'm on Spotify, Stitcher, and all the other places that podcasts can be found. Be sure to leave a review where reviews are possible, uh, but only if it's going to be a five-star review. <laughs> don't, don't give me any of those three-star no reviews. That, that doesn't help me. We're only positive. Help me, people, because I help you. Right? But not Corona positive. <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, so be, and be sure to share this. I, I know there's a lot of people having hard conversations right now, um, with homeschooling and education, and there's a lot of opinions and you can even hear the complexities of what Sam said today on his thoughts on it. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think everybody's trying to do best by their children, both, uh, as parents and, and even government officials, believe it or not. <laughs> um, I, I think they, they're in a hard spot and, you know, it's like I talked with somebody recently. I don't know that during the pandemic that there are any good options. <laughs> um, and so you ultimately have to just do what you feel is best for you, your child, and your individual situation. But anyway, uh, you know, jimmystable.com, uh, where I'm having conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. And speaking of food, Sam and I, Sam came over to record the podcast. If you come over to my house to record a podcast, I feed you. 
So that's a, that's a big plus. Food. Uh, so if you want to be on the podcast and you live in the greater Charlotte area. Anyway, uh, I'm not going to accept strangers. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's going to be like, who is this? <laughs> I, I don't know either, honey. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, take care, everybody. God bless and have a good one. Air smudge.